wonderful to see all of our members, and it's also wonderful to see all of the visitors that we have. We appreciate your presence with us this morning and those online as well. Thank you so much for joining us online. We're so very glad to have you with us this morning. We're going to continue in our series on the anatomy of a disciple, and uh, we've looked at two, the core elements of our spiritual life, the engine that drives, I think I might have messed this up, the engine that drives our I'm colorblind, so I can't tell if it's red or green, and I thought it was green, so I'm not good at Christmas. <laughs> it's, all, it's all the same to me. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be driving because the traffic signals. It's a rough life. We've been looking at the two core elements of uh, our spiritual life, the center of the core being that humbly submitted heart, and right there with it being this biblically formed mind. We've talked about those in the last couple of weeks and how that core is our engine that drives spiritual growth in our lives. It affects everything else, all the other elements, dimensions that we're going to look at, the parts of a disciple. That's what we're looking at. If we were to break this down as an engine or look at, uh, look at it as a living body, as a scientist would, what, what parts and components would we see? And so the next one we move to today is in this outer ring, and this outer ring outside of biblically formed is our choices. This is where our choices lie. And so the first choice we're going to look at is up here, you see it there, sacrificially generous, being sacrificially generous. So the engine of a humbly submitted heart and a biblically formed mind drives me to make choices to be sacrificially generous. Do you see that? That's how that works. That engine drives me. See, an engine in your car is vital, isn't it? You can't get very far without an engine. But there's other parts that are important to your engine as well. You're not going to get very far without a transmission or without uh, steering and suspension and other parts, the electrical uh, components to an engine. Well, in the same way, you're not going to get very far without a heart and lungs and stomach and things like that. So there's essential components, but the, the engine of spiritual growth, your humbly submitted heart and biblically formed mind, drive the choices that you make. Your choices... idea of being sacrificially generous. See, when your heart is humbly submitted to God and your mind is biblically formed uh, by God's word, your choices become more and more like Jesus. And, and they start looking like Jesus's choices. Choices are determined by your heart and your mind. So the better you do with your humbly submitted heart and biblically formed mind, the more they look like Christ, the more your choices look like Christ's choices. We ask, what would Jesus do? Well, you do the things he would do when your heart and your mind are right. So let me ask you this as we get into looking at the subject of being sacrificially generous was sending Jesus what God wanted to do. 
Is that what he initially wanted to do? Was sending Jesus what God wanted to do? That's kind of a big question. So there's a lot to think about with that, isn't there? Well, initially, what did God do? He created the earth, and he created a special place in the earth, the Garden of Eden, for people to dwell in, his creation, all of his creation, the animals and human beings. He made Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, placed Adam in the garden, and from Adam made Eve there in the garden. His design was to be for people to live there in the perfect Garden of Eden. However, what God had set up, what he set up for the way things to be, what he set up, what did we do? We messed it up, didn't we? What God set up, we messed up. Why? Because of sin. Because sin entered the world through Adam and therefore uh, sin has infected all of us. Now, God being omniscient knew all of this, didn't he? Before he created the earth... He knew how this was going to play out because God is omniscient. So God sees all time, past, present, and future, everywhere. He sees it all at once. And and at that point, fuses start to blow in our mind because we just can't compute like that. Because time, as we know it, exists for us. God exists outside of our concept of time. And that's why we can't really comprehend it. All we can say is, what? And that's about it. And, and then we just have to accept it by faith. And see, that's what this is all about. Is am I going to have faith in God that God is God or am I not? Because that means I'm not going to completely comprehend every single thing about God. And so, and so God knew how this was going to play out, and within this, God gives us free will. God even gave the, gives the angels free will, didn't he? There's free will in heaven. There was free will in the Garden of Eden. And so uh, Satan entered the world, he entered the scene, and that's how sin infected everything, got into the world. And so God, knowing this, always had a plan. What was his plan? Well... Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.20, what does he say? He was foreknown, he's talking about Jesus, you can read the verses before and after. He was foreknown before, what? The foundation of the world, but was made manifest, was known to us in the last times for the sakes of you, for your sake, for you to know who he was. So God's plan through Christ, salvation for us, was God knew what he was going to do before he ever created the world. And so it had to play out, even though that's how he initially set it up and we messed it up, it played out through Christ, and God knew all along how this was going to go. That's the epitome of being sacrificially generous, isn't it? God modeled from, uh, for us from the beginning sacrificial generosity, didn't he? Because he gave of himself to create. He gave of himself in, as far as a plan goes to save us. God was sacrificially generous in giving us Christ so that through him we could be saved. And in the same way, Jesus was also sacrificially generous and is. They both continue to be. He was sacrificially generous in willingly giving himself up 
for our sins. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a what? Ransom for many. Jesus was, was sacrificially generous with his own life. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul gives us more insight. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count, it, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, I'm here in heaven, and, and he said, I'm willing to give that up. I, I don't have to grasp and hold on to my place in heaven. I'm willingly giving it up for the sake of people. For their salvation. Verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus' sacrificial generosity with his own life was and is the heart of the gospel. Why? That is the good news of the gospel, the good news of salvation. So God has shown us sacrificial generosity in his plan always to redeem us so we could, be, he, we could be with him eternally. Jesus, in the same way, was sacrificially generous with his own life to save us by his own death, burial, and resurrection. And God, through Christ, and his word calls his disciples, his people, those that are wanting to be like Christ, those who are to be saved, calls us to live sacrificially generous lives as well. And there are three areas in our lives where we're called to be sacrificially generous. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. And those three areas of our lives, that really covers everything. We're called to be sacrificially generous in our time, talent, and treasure. Let's look at each one briefly. In our time, let's look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Do you know that story, children? Do you remember the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan? What happened in that story? Well, first of all, what prompted Jesus to tell that parable? Does anybody know? This is an important part. These parables just didn't appear. They weren't for no reason. What prompted Jesus to tell this parable? Well, if you back up a few verses in verse 27, you see what happened was a lawyer had come to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus answered him with the great commandment. Verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so this intelligent, smart, educated lawyer asked a very good attorney question. And just who is my neighbor? You see, he had to get this down to an exact science, right? He wanted, he wanted an exact answer. And so based on that question, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because the, the lawyer wanted to know, well, you said love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Because I don't want to love more people than I have to. You see, it's, I, want, I only want to love the people I want to love. 
And so Jesus said, okay, let me tell you who your neighbor is. So he tells a parable about a man traveling. And on his way traveling, he comes across some robbers. And what do they do, children? They beat him up really bad, didn't they? And they left him for dead, didn't they? They beat him up so bad, he wasn't dead yet, but they took off. But in a matter of time, he would have died. They robbed him of everything he had. And then a priest was traveling that same direction and passed by and saw this poor man beaten up, left for dead on the side of the road. And that priest stopped and helped him. In fact, he even, he even called 911 for that man, didn't he? No, that's not what the priest did, is it? That priest said, whew, he went on the other side of the road and kept on about his business, didn't he? And then not long after that, a Levite, well, surely the Levite's going to stop and help. He's a Levite. A Levite was going the same way, saw that man over there, and he did just like that priest did. He kept on going. He said, I got things to do. I don't have time to know what's going on here. I ain't getting involved. And he kept on going. Eventually, who came walking by? A Samaritan. Oh, my goodness, a Samaritan, the worst of the worst. A Samaritan comes walking by, and he did the same thing the priest and the Levite did, didn't he? Is that right, children? What did the Samaritan do? The Samaritan said, oh, no, someone's in help. Someone needs help. Someone, someone is in a bad situation. And what did he do? He gave his time to help the man who had been beaten and left for dead. Jesus tells us what he did when he said he had compassion. He made a choice to have compassion. He made a choice to take care of his wounds there on the spot. He made a choice to put him on his donkey and get him to an inn and further care for him and leave him at the inn and tell the, the innkeeper, I'll be back and I'll, I'll take care of any costs that, further costs that there are. Make sure this man is taken care of. The, the, the Samaritan man showed mercy in helping uh, the, the beaten up man. The lawyer, so when Jesus was finished telling the parable, he asked the lawyer, uh, who, 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 who was the neighbor here? Who did what he was supposed to do? Uh, who was a neighbor to the man who was beaten and left for dead? And the lawyer correctly answered the one who showed mercy. And then what did Jesus say in response to that? He said, you go and do likewise. The original question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He answered it. And then he got real smart and he said, okay, uh, let me narrow this down. Who's my neighbor? This is going to make it easy now. Who's my neighbor? And then he answers him with a parable. And then he tells him, you go do likewise. So you go do the same thing the Samaritan man. Well, well, who do I do that to? Your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? I just told you. When you see someone in need, when you see that there's a need, you take your time uh, and you go and do likewise. You be sacrificially generous with your time, just like that man did. So if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, then I've got to make choices to be sacrificially generous with my time. Does that make sense? So ask yourself, in what ways am I being sacrificially generous in my time? And we all have things going on, but all of us have opportunities and have ways, and, and, and God gives us opportunities to be sacrificially generous in our time. Let's look at the second one, talent. 
And turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. And here Paul, uh, is one of the places he talks about our gifts, our different gifts that people have in the church. Now this was in the New Testament times. There are some differences. If we were to get in further into the text than then then th- the way things are now. But look at verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So God designed and intended his church body, his people, his disciples uh, to, to use their different gifts, their different talents for the good of the church. To do the work of the church. And that might be internal, that might be external in the community, on the mission field, whatever that might be. So God gave the members gifts to use those for his glory. So the things you're good at, those, you're good at those things to use for God's glory for the work of the church. Now, just because you're asked to do something or there's a need doesn't mean you have to be good at that. It's not that hard to take trash out. It takes no special talent to to help pick something up or clean up or straighten up when there's a need. But you also have gifts that other people here don't have that God gave you. And guess what? He brought you here at this time to contribute in your talent to the work of the Lord here. You see that? And that's exciting. So is there a place for for me to fit in, someone might ask? Is there something for me to do? I see other people doing things. I can't do that. I can't do that. But guess what? What you can do, they can't do. And the church needs you to do what you can do, to do your part. And that's why we want full involvement in, in, uh, in the Lord's church. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We don't all do the same thing. That doesn't work, and that's his discussion there in Romans 12. Uh, Look at verse number 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There's this belongingness that we have to one another. Uh, See, we're not independent, are we? We're interdependent. Do you you know the difference between the two? If we're independent, then I'm just an isolated person with no connection, no responsibility uh, uh, to other members here. I'm just me. And that's not the way God designed his church. God designed his church for the members to be interdependent. In other words, we're dependent on one another. There's this mutual dependency on one another to contribute. There's a giving and taking, and I'm being blessed by your presence, by your talents, by your service, and you're being blessed by mine. That's how that works, that the church family functions as a church family, and they're there for each other, and they do work together, pitch in to do the work of the Lord. Look at the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to do what? 
to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, he gives some examples here. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter tells us that we don't have our talents just for us. We have our talents for others to bless them. And when we do you utilize our talents to bless others for the good of the church and the work of the church externally included there, then that does what? Glorifies God. So the opposite of that must be true also, right? If I am not using my talents to find a way to serve and, and help the church do its work, then I'm not being a blessing to the church, and I'm not helping glorify God. So it doesn't glorify God when I don't get involved and contribute with my talents. And, and you need to know that. That's how important your talents are. That's how important you are to the church body and what you bring to the table. So let's look at our last one, treasure. And look with me at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. And Paul writes here, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. They wanted to do this. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but uh, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so should he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see, to, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What's this act of grace? What is Paul talking about? Well, this was on his third missionary journey, and the Gentile churches in Macedonia there had taken up a collection. Out of their poverty, they had taken up a collection for Paul on his journey to stop by Jerusalem and deliver that offering to them, to the poor Jewish Christians there, so that they could be blessed. It was a financial blessing that they gave to the Christians there. And then Paul says, and I want y'all to do the same thing. Why? Because there's multiple ways we can be sacrificially generous. And we see with the Macedonian Christians, they were absolutely sacrificially generous in their wanting to help uh, the other Christians in, the other, in, in Jerusalem, to help them, to further the work of the Lord, to help meet those physical needs that they had. And so we see through Scripture that sacrificially, sacrificial generosity financially is another way that we are to uh, express our devotion to God. So disciples of Jesus follow him 
and learn from him. Remember, the word disciple means learner. We follow Jesus. We learn from him so that we can be more like him. And that's how a Christian is supposed to live. You see, we're supposed to choose to be sacrificially generous, not out of some sense of obligation, but because we're motivated by, we're moved by that humbly submitted heart and biblically formed mind, and we make choices to be sacrificially generous where? In our time, our talent, and our treasure, where we see opportunities for God to use us where we can help. So God calls us to live sacrificially generous lives in all those different areas. And it's a choice that we want to make that comes from our heart, that comes from our mind, not out of sense of obligation or pressure, but motivated out of love. Because it was love that motivated God to be sacrificially generous towards us in salvation. It was love that motivated Jesus to to sacrifice himself for our salvation. So I want to ask you this morning, where... Are you able to be sacrificially generous? Where, how would you rate yourself as far as sacrificial generosity? How are you doing in being sacrificially generous in, in each of those areas? Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Where, where, are some, where are some areas you need to grow? Do you need help finding some ways where you can, where you can be more generous in one of those areas? So I want you to reflect on yourself personally. This is, it's easy to think, yeah, so-and-so needs that. I'm glad. I'm, I hope they're listening. But, but, but I need to hear it too, don't I? Because I need to evaluate myself and see how sacrificially generous am I being in each of these areas. Especially knowing what God has done for us and what through Christ on the cross, that salvation is, him, is, is only in him. I need to be willingly sacrificially generous in all of those areas. And you know, if you're not a Christian, then it starts with you sacrificially giving your life to Christ. You lay down your life and you pick up the new life that Jesus uh, gives you when you're united with him in baptism. When you put on Christ in baptism, God says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But you got to be willing to sacrifice the old life, who you are outside of Christ, and then take up that new life to live for Christ. Is that where you're at this morning? Do you need to just say, look, I'm done. I'm done living that life. I'm done living uh, for myself. And I want to live sacrificially generous towards God with my life. I want to be a Christian this morning. Maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe you realize I hadn't been very generous in any area of my life. Or I want help in some of these areas. And you want prayer. We want you to know this church is here for you. And if there's any way we can serve you this morning... We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.